What place did the Catholic Church call the wickedest town in Christendom? My town? My hometown wasn't that bad. <laughs> Worcester, Ohio? Worcester, I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> and what is the southernmost capital city of the United States? You might be surprised. Ooh. Answers to those and other wicked questions <laughs> coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective in life by learning some interesting facts. Okay, you've got my attention, Marcia. <laughs> Could you repeat that question again? What place did the Catholic Church call the wickedest town in all of Christianity? Wow, now was this can you tell me what century it was? Yes, 1600s. The 1600s? Yes. Okay. So London, England, could no. have been that. No. That was a very... No, this is small. Small. And here's a curious clue I'll give you. I think it's one of the lodging places at Disney World. <laughs> what? Okay, now I don't know what that yeah, is. So it's a Caribbean... Uh, Caribbean place. <laughs> it, it's called Port Royal. Oh, yes, that was supposed to be the wickedest place. Yes, why? Um, because it was full of gambling dens and pirates and everything else, and then it was swallowed up by a, what was it, a volcano or y something yes, like that? Yes, it got its due from the Catholics, I think. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> and who hung out there? Sir Henry Morgan, Calico Jack, Blackbeard, all the biggest, baddest pirates of the day. They all did their debauchery there. Wow. And their trading. And uh, it, it was quite the awful place until mm -hmm. 1692, a massive earthquake hit it. And, I mean, liquefaction came. The soil liquefied and a tsunami came and basically two-thirds of it dropped off the face of the earth. Yeah, it's under, it's under the sea now, isn't port it? Royal, a lot of it? Well, most of it, yes. Most of it's yeah. in the port. Yeah, with one big gulp. gulp. It was consumed. <laughs> I wonder what the Pope uh, kind of hex he put on that place. Wow. Now, there's a big article on this recently in National Geographic. That's why I remember oh, really? a beautiful illustration of all these pirates and things on the shore. Oh, okay. It took three minutes. Wow. Now, where was that? Port Royal in Jamaica. Wow. Okay. Isn't that something? It really yeah. is. All right, that's a southern city. Yes. What oh. is the southernmost United States capital city? Uh, you might be surprised. You might be may, surprised, which Marcia. Which means it's nothing. Uh, it's, well, it's, let me just say this. What's the southernmost capital city, y'all, in the United States? Yeah, you'd think something in Texas down there. Oh, you're close on one of those. Uh, Austin is the southernmost state capital on the continental United States. Yeah, well, and I'm right. And then Hawaii is... Uh, Honolulu is the other one. It's the southernmost state capital overall. Yeah. You got them. You got the right one for Hawaii, uh -huh. and you got bonus points for Austin, Marsha. Thank you, Bob. Thank you so much. And my reward will be? Uh, breakfast in bed tomorrow. All right. How's that? I will okay. take that. <laughs> Although Florida is the southernmost state in the continental United States, Tallahassee is just ever so slightly north of Austin. Uh-huh. Now, what's the... Northernmost capital city. Oh, God. It would that be, would be Anchorage. Easy. Juneau. 
Oh, sorry, Juno. Yes, it's Juno, Alaska, Bob. Okay. Well, All right. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> All right. That was the uh, consolation prize there. All right. That uh, means I don't get the coffee in bed, just a You Pop just Tart. get the burnt toast without the butter. <laughs> Why, Bob? Why do we call shuttlecocks birdies in badminton? Hmm. These are strange things, these terms we have in tennis and badminton but and other ones. But this is one, if you think about it for a nanosecond, it makes sense. Well, if it was originally a shuttlecock, it probably had real feathers, and that's, so that's why people called it a birdie. That's exactly right. Originally, they had, and some of the good ones still have feathers. Mm-hmm. I accidentally bought some good ones. <laughs> I'm so cheap. <laughs> but I got home, I went, huh, these are real feathers. But yeah. And also, when they fly, they kind of look like a bird. So that information comes from badmintonbites.com. It's probably a site you go to on a regular basis. I do. I <laughs> often often uh, rest my cursor there. <laughs> okay. All right, Marsha, a question for you. How much pollution does a gasoline lawnmower generate? Well, Any idea? In terms of what? Quantify. In terms of a car trip. How many miles on a car trip compared to a gasoline lawnmower in an hour? Like our lawnmower? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Like our non-electric lawnmower. Yeah, one hour compared to a car trip, I will say 200 miles. No. Hard to believe. But a gasoline lawnmower generates as much pollution in an hour as a 300-mile car trip. Uh, Can you believe that? Well, that's according to the California Air Resources Board. But when you think about it, there there are no devices on that. It's just spewing it out. You know, it's yeah. not like an automobile yeah. where you have all kinds of regulations. So, yeah, a gasoline lawnmower generates as much pollution in an hour as a 300-mile car trip. That, that's hard. to. It makes you feel guilty. But if it's not, how, how is it coming out in just the... How just the exhaust. Just exhaust. It yeah. doesn't look like much, does it? No, it doesn't, but it is. Did you know, Bob, it's bad luck to whistle backstage at the theater? No, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. It's it's an old actor's thing. And why is the question? Why is it Mm -hmm. bad luck to whistle backstage in a theater? Mm -hmm. Because she'll slap you. That girl will slap you. Oh, the girl, oh I'm oh, sorry. Any girl that was standing yes. around you? Well, that makes sense. That's happened to you, hasn't it, Bob? Yes, it has. Yeah, when you were younger and uninformed. But no, this goes back to the 17th century. Why, you say, why? Because why, Marcia? that was before stage managers became standard, and productions had people called prompters. And it was their job to make sure everything went smoothly back there during the course of the show. And it was the days before electricity, so if they wanted to indicate to, to move uh, scenery or props, they would whistle. <laughs> so it was a way to indicate to folks backstage that a scene was changing. Mm-hmm. To avoid confusion, everyone else was strictly prohibited from whistling because otherwise all hell would break out. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And even when electricity came in, that, that stayed with productions. No whistling behind stage, and nobody really knows why anymore, but that's why. But because bad things would happen. Yeah, the stage would start moving, props would be <laughs> taken off. Uh, uh, that's funny, I thought. Lights would go off, yeah. all kinds of yeah, things that, would probably the scene, happen. The scene was being changed while they were in the middle of an act. Okay, well, Marcia, the National Park Service describes Death Valley as the hottest, driest, and lowest national park. What just happened there to throw that all to the wind? Did it rain? <laughs> Did it rain? Did it ever rain? There were a thousand people stranded in Death Valley oh, National right. Park because of flooding. 
The inn at Death Valley had 60 cars belonging to visitors and staff. It, they were buried under the debris. Oh, my God. The park got 1.46 inches of rain recently, the second wettest day since record-keeping began. In fact, almost 70% of Death Valley's annual rainfall fell in one day. Before that day, in early August, Death Valley had only recorded 0.04 inches of rain in 2022, the driest start through July since 1953 when no rain fell at all. And how much was it? 1.46 inches of rain, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's enough to flood the place. Uh, well, there, yeah, because it's so dry. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine being a tourist there and <laughs> fighting oh, your car? 500 <laughs> visitors and 500 staff in the park were stranded there all day on a Friday. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, Bob. Well, here's a curious question. Do you ever wonder, do you ever wonder where the United States, Russia, Japan, and, you know, some other European countries uh, get rid of their space junk or decommissioned equipment? Well, it ends up in Australia, apparently, because a whole bunch fell there. <laughs> Did oh, you read that, about that? Yeah, that dropped out of the sky, that huge chunk <laughs> in the sheep, farmer's field. On a field. sheep farm, yeah. yeah. And it was huge. Yes. If that landed on you, you were dead. That's right. But decommissioned equipment and space junk, we have to put it somewhere. In fact, they're going to put the, uh, when it's decommissioned, the space station is going to go here. In 2030. Really? Where is here? The ocean, isn't it? Yes. Deep under the ocean? There's a specific place. The Indian Ocean? No, no. Southern Pacific? It's called Point Nemo. It's in the oceanic pole of inaccessibility. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's according to a 1992 survey engineer who discovered this area. And it's the spot in the ocean farthest away from any land. It's most commonly called Point Nemo, and it's located nearly 1,700 miles from three equal distance islands. So there's nothing close to it closer than 1,700 miles. Jeez. So they can strategically make these things happen there? They can make them land there? Is well, that what they're doing? No, they're going to take something apart and bring it back and drop it there. Oh, dear. The closest people to this area... Point Nemo are on the space station. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, 250 miles above the Earth. Just oh, no kidding. Oh, shows. that's hilarious. Yeah. So anyway, it's extremely difficult to get to, and it's within the South Pacific gear, G-Y-R-E, is Geyer gear. It doesn't have a lot going for it, so... Uh, In our human wisdom, they decided that's the best place yeah, to put this. and we're not alone. Europe and Russia and Japan, we're all dropping stuff So there. this was an international decision. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is our garbage bit for space stuff. Yeah. Spa and I love that statistic that the closest people to this are on the space station yeah. now, 250 <laughs> miles up. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, and right now there are more than 200 abandoned pieces of space equipment down there. Hmm. Someday, archaeologists will be down there thousands yeah. of years from now and say, yeah. how did this get down yes. here? This, it was a, an underground city. Oh, it's an ancient toilet. Look at this. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> you, you laugh at that, but, you know, we find things in deserts and in ancient sites, and there's nothing written except maybe something on a stone. We don't know what the heck some of this stuff is. It takes forever to figure it out. Uh -huh. So can you imagine finding yeah. these rusted hulks of these yeah. space? Yeah. How did this it's happen? It's all just deductive reasoning. What could they have used this for? Exactly. And I wonder how often they get it right, huh?
There was that book, I forget that fellow put out once uh, recently, and he drew things, and he said they were artifacts of the 20th century. Oh, that was funny. That? There, was yeah. a, there was a toilet seat, and they had a picture of it around this woman, and it was supposed yeah, to be, they necklace. thought, well, this must be some kind of an ancient totem or something uh, that she's wearing. It's you know? a cowl. It's a beautiful <laughs> royal cowl that they wore, yes. Yeah, who's to say that what we think isn't that much in error? Absolutely. Okay, Marsha, which U.S. president has the most places named after him. I'm going to give you some names here. I'll, let me guess before you give me some. It's got to be Lincoln or Washington. Uh, I'll say Washington. Here are some names, Marcia. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, James Madison, or Abraham Lincoln. Washington. It is Washington. Okay. So you are right on your second guess. Okay. Yes, from the Pacific Northwest to the nation's capital, more places in America are named after George Washington than any other president, which makes sense. He was the founding father. There are 94 places named directly after Washington, a number that rises to 127 when you consider spots that include Washington as part of a longer name. Abraham Lincoln is second with 70. And actually, Benjamin Franklin outpaces Honest Abe. He has 89 places in the United States really? named after him. Yeah, Really? Well, that you know, I bet you the South doesn't celebrate Lincoln much. And uh, so I, Ben Franklin probably is one. Okay. We live close to a town called Port Washington. Yeah. It's on Lake Michigan. And uh-huh. well, you think back when that was named in probably the 1830s, Washington had only been dead for 35, 40 yeah. years. So. My mother went to Washington High School, blah, blah, blah. My point is that city, people that founded that, yeah. remember George Washington. Yeah. Absolutely. Unlike your mother, who wasn't there when it happened. (laughs) I don't think so. I hope not. Although she would have been pretty old right now. Okay, Bob. I got a question for you on a phrase coming up after we take a break. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. We're back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Well, Marsha, this is a hat question. Oh, all right. Thank you. Where does the phrase mad as a hatter come from? I thought it came from uh, Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland. Well, yeah, because there was a mad hatter Uh there. Okay. But what does it relate to? Uh, Does he wear a hat? An occupational hazard. It is? Yeah. If being a hat maker? Yes, back in the day. Back in the day. You worked with felt. Felt. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) You could get a serious medical condition if you worked with hats, felt hats, back in the day. Because in the 18th and 19th centuries, the fur felt for hats was made by treating animal pelts with mercury nitrate. And workers exposed to mercury nitrate over time developed symptoms such as tremors, speech problems, hallucinations, and even mental and emotional instability. So there was a truth to the phrase, mad Mad as a a hatter. hatter. I'll be darned. So that just shows you how widespread the ailments were. But mercury continued to be used in hat making even into the 20th century and was not officially banned in the United States until 1940. But that's where the term mad as a hatter comes from. It was the mercury that they used in making the hats, treating the hats. I'll be darned. Okay, Bob, what do these words have in common? Okay. Humble brag, vaxxed, and demisexual. What? <laughs> Demisexual? You heard me. Okay, bisexual means 
two different. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what a demisexual is. And you know what vaxxed is, and you know what a humble brag is. You know, you do that on the uh, social media. Humble yeah. brag, but, you know, I won a million dollars. But, know. Uh, you know, who's counting? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. What's the answer? I'm the cutest pea in the pod. These are all newly added words to various dictionaries in 2022. Okay. Uh, they didn't exist before in dictionaries. And can you give us a definition for each? Well, humble brag, you know what that is, bragging about yourself humbly, supposedly vaxxed. I don't have to explain that. You've been vaccinated and demisexual. I knew you would ask. Yes, that's the one I've been waiting for. Who cares about the other two? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's similar to asexual, but it includes sexual attraction only after a strong bond has formed. It's somebody who pays no attention, apparently, to the opposite sex until all their bells are rung, and then they pay attention. That means falling in love with somebody. I think so. I don't know why they have to make it into <laughs> demisexual. Okay, so the culling of dictionary words is also left to lexographers, and they decide which words to add and which words to remove. So, <laughs> Can you imagine? That might be an interesting job, right? Yeah. At yeah, the end yeah. of the year to go, let's take a look at all these new words. Yeah, they're always updating. And they only, in 2021, removed nine words. But two of them, <laughs> I love these two. Fruitescent was removed. F-R-U-T-E-S-C-E-N-T. Fruit scent. Fruit scent? Yes. It refers to an object or person having the appearance of a shrub. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when's the last time you used that well, in that's a sentence? A, there's not a lot of use for that yeah. one. I can see Mi why they got rid of it. Let's get rid of that one. Merriam-Webster said that's out of here. You know, there just aren't enough fruit scents around to use it. And the other one, and I really like this. I, I'm going to use this in a sentence this week. Frigorific. What? Yeah, it's a word that's been replaced by the more commonly used frigid. Oh, jeez. So it used to be frigorific. I never heard that one either. I didn't either. So, uh, ooh, it's frigorific so in I'm here. So I'm getting the impression dictionaries are like software. You only use so many of the features, and, then you and the rest just yeah, forget about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, okay, Marsha, this is a burning question. I wonder if a person who was uh, a demisexual could be frigorific. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I, I have to think about that one for a moment. <laughs> but let me move on to food, okay? All right, Marsha. This seems like a very simple question, mm -hmm. but I'm going to ask it. Where did Swedish meatballs originate? Sweden? Oh. Is that where Swedish meatballs came you from? You wouldn't have asked me if it was. <laughs> Italy, Norway, or Turkey? I'll say Turkey. You're right. <laughs> Even the Swedes admit the Swedish meatballs are Turkish. The country's official Twitter account posted in 2018 that Swedish meatballs are actually based on a recipe that King Charles XII brought home from Turkey in the early 18th century. Isn't that interesting? They it credit is. Turkish koft, which combines minced or ground beef, lamb, chicken, or pork with onions and a blend of spices. Now, Swedes actually did add their own special twist to these meatballs. They topped the meatballs with gravy. And that's not the only thing he brought back from Turkey that is used to this day. Um, food? Coffee! Oh, really? Yeah. That's uh, very strong, good coffee. Goes back a long time ago. Yes, it does. Early 18th century. Okay. That's the 1700s. All right. 
All right. So you and I, Bob, we recently missed the big billion-dollar lottery jackpot. Uh, yeah, I didn't buy the ticket. Too lazy to go across the border to the uh, Speedway in De Plain, Illinois. <laughs> we could have won, Bob. We could have won. <laughs> or don't they call it Des Plains down there? Des Plains. I, I think say. so. But did you ever wonder why we call it a jackpot? Oh, the term jackpot. Uh, jackpot. It's not Jack's pot like over the rainbow, like Jack. Didn't Jack go over the rainbow? Uh, you're thinking I've jumped over the candlestick? Oh, that's it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I get all those things mixed up. I'm moving on, Bob. I should have thought of this when I asked myself the question, where does the term jackpot come from? It's a very common sense answer, actually. It's from draw poker, hmm. in which you have to have a pair of jacks or better to win. And the winner takes the jackpot. Of course, I don't play poker. I so. know, but I do, and I should have thought of it. Jacks are better. That's a common draw poker So game. that's where the jackpot turn comes from, yes. from poker. But lottery, on the other hand, that comes from an ancient practice of casting marked pebbles into a pot and then selecting the winner through a draw. When you joined in the gamble, you were said to throw in your lot with a bunch of other people, and that became the lottery. Yeah, and a lottery is a game of chance as yeah. opposed to a game of skill. Right. So that makes sense. Yeah, you just throw in your lot, you throw in your pebble. Huh. So there you are, jackpots, a lot. jackpots and lotteries. Lotteries because you're throwing in a lot. And we're losers. We didn't win. We didn't try. Okay, Marsh. Let's see if you can be a winner here. All right. What is the only U.S. state that borders an ocean and a great lake? What is the only U.S. state that borders... An ocean and a great lake. It, you think of the Great Lakes as being more yeah, inward yeah, in yeah, the United but it's States. Out there. Is it someplace out there? How is it out east? It's out east. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's one of those uh, states that dangles on. There are eight states that border the Great Lakes. Yeah. All right, I'll give you names. Th- thank you. Pennsylvania, New York, Maine, or Vermont. Uh, New York. That's exactly right. Now, the western edge of New York has coasts on both Lake Ontario and Lake Erie, and on the eastern side, the state meets the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we all know that there's a Niagara Falls in New York. Which of the Great Lakes does Niagara Falls feed into? Uh, Ontario? Lake Erie flows into the Niagara River, which flows north through the falls and into Lake Ontario. So did I get it right? Yes, you did. (laughs) (laughs) I've lost track here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Lake Lake Erie flows into the Niagara River, and that flows north through the falls and into Lake Ontario. I never think of the Niagara Falls being between two great lakes, but Uh it is. Yeah. Yeah, water from four of the great lakes flows east into Niagara Falls, and then into Lake Ontario, the fifth great lake and then eventually onto the ocean through the St. Lawrence Seaway. I still have never been to Niagara oh, Falls. Oh, you never have? No. Oh, I'll have to go there sometime. Okay. <laughs> we can do that. We can do that. Okay. Bob, when Homo sapiens first began walking the Earth, which is about 400,000 years ago, was a day basically 24 hours long as it is today? The answer is no. <laughs> but I don't know the rest of it. No, so. it was. Oh, it was? Yes, that's right. It was a trick question. Oh, I knew you would. But it wasn't always the case, Bob. Scientists from Kyoto University estimate that when the moon first formed a few billion years ago, it spun around the Earth at a much closer distance than it does today, which affected our rotation. So, Mm -hmm. by their calculation, when life first began on Earth, that was about 3.6 billion years ago when things started growing here, the Earth day was only 12 hours long. 
But 400,000 years ago, it was 24 hours a day. Yes. So? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I have a question for you here. Well, here, Bob. Research in 2021 discovered that the Earth is now spinning ever so slightly faster than it was 50 years ago. And this apparently is a major headache for physicists, astronomers, and computer programmers everywhere because it's speeding up. So 24 hours won't be 24 hours soon. Yeah. But I don't sleep long enough anyway, so I won't miss it. (laughs) Okay, Marcia, a hot shot. Where does the term hot shot come from originally? a hot shot. Shot. Well, a shot coming out of a rifle is hot. But it wasn't a rifle. Uh, Larger? Big round? Cannon? Cannon, yes. A hot shot was a, uh, we think of the hot shot meaning a young person who flaunts their success, right? Mm Kind of like the, uh, what would would you call that? The humble brag? The opposite (laughs) of a humble brag. Okay. Well, originally, hot shot described a special type of cannonball. Hot shots were heated up on open grates or in furnaces for the purpose of setting opposing ships on fire. They had to be handled with extreme care and skill. They were special, just like someone who thinks he's a hotshot. Well, that's interesting. I like that. Okay. <laughs> okay, hotshot. How do bees, your favorite things, in a beehive, go about selecting a new location for the beehive? I would assume they send out scouts. Yeah. Scouts go out and scout it. Uh-huh. They come back, they tell them, they take a vote, and then they move. That's exactly correct. What? Yes, that's exactly oh, it. Despite their microscopic brains, smaller than a grain of rice, Bob, bees are able to grasp complex social situations like voting. Wow. <laughs> Although hives are led by the queen, some decisions are made by the entire swarm, including relocating the hive to a new home. Older bees first scout the new real estate, sharing their top picks with other bees by dancing. They call it waggle dancing, the uh, scientists. Like some of the clubs I've joined in the past, yeah. (laughs) And they they actually give other bees directions to the site. Via dancing. Yeah, with their wiggle. It's over there. (laughs) And then more scouts observe the recommended spot. And then everyone returns to the hive to vote either for or against it with their own dance. Wow. With each wave of research, more and more bees vote by performing enthusiastic dances that give feedback until the entire hive agrees. They don't go until the entire hive does the same dance. So it's, it's a big consensus they have that's to have. Exactly the last line says, it's displayed in a large-scale dance that signals consensus. Well, that's pretty fascinating. I, I didn't anticipate being right with that answer. No, you, you <laughs> said it to be bizarre, and it turned out absolutely right. Well, I'm sorry about that. Sorry that's to right. disappoint. Maybe, maybe I'll bring you coffee in bed the next day. That sounds good. Okay. All right, Marsha, one more question today on expressions. Fly off the handle, which means to become suddenly deranged or engaged. Which I often do. Fly off the handle. <laughs> where does that expression come from? Where do we think it comes from? Um, and it's not dancing bees. No. Is it? Is it dancing flies? No. Is it real flies? No. No. It's something that flies off the hand. Well, if you're mad at someone, you throw a pan at them, and and you throw it out of your hand via the handle, and that's where I'm going down the toilet. No, here. no, that's not bad. It's good that you're making these things up. It's entertaining. <laughs> but let me tell you the answer, okay? Go ahead, you beavis. <laughs> Back in the 1800s, when some axes 
were so poorly made that when swung, the axe heads would fly off the handle. Oh, my. Crazy Ugh. and dangerous. Very. So if this guy's flying off the handle, he's dangerous. Uh-huh. You know, he needs to be controlled. Yeah. So that's apparently where it came from. Fly off the handle. They believe it was axe heads. All right, Bob. Here's Jean Harlow. Okay. Remember her? Yes. The women like me because I don't look like a girlfriend who would steal a husband. At least not for long. (laughs) (laughs) She had that platinum blonde hair. She did. (laughs) That's what mine looks like now. Yeah, let's let's call it platinum. Okay, Okay. thanks. Thanks a lot. (laughs) All right, that's it for today. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.